0: Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, um, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament, to the fourth of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we're in John, John chapter 20, and uh, what I want to do is read a a relatively brief scripture uh, relating to Jesus' appearance to his disciples um, on the evening of his resurrection, and we're going to look at that passage in connection with an ongoing uh, catechetical series that we do in this church, if you're new here, Um, we follow a practice that has been established in Protestant churches for many, many years, although many churches have gotten away from it. But we want to continue it because it has a long and a very valid and very helpful series. And that's on one of the confessional standards of our church. It goes back all the way to 1563. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. And here we find um, a wonderful display, treatment, summary, and explanation of the, f- the fundamentals of the faith that we confess. So um, after going through um, a series, kind of a mini-series within this overall document on the uh, two sacraments, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, I want to follow that up now um, this afternoon with what are called uh, the keys of the kingdom. So we're going to be uh, dealing with that. And... Um, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up just so you know this. Um, I will not be on the, on the pulpit for the next number of weeks because um, Joy and I really didn't take a vacation this summer. So we're going to take two weeks off and we're going to uh, get away for a little bit. And then when I get back, um, this was set in place quite a long time ago. I'll be also, uh, when I get back, preaching at the Linden United Reformed Church. And the pastor of that church, Mark Vanderpoel, will be preaching here. And then when I get back, I'll be on the pulpit for a number of weeks in a row. So just give you a bit of a heads up on that. All right, we're going to read the the scriptures. John chapter 20, I want to begin reading at uh, verse 19. So let's pay attention to the word of the Lord. On the uh, evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. All right, then I want to draw your attention uh, next to... Um, three questions and answers from um, the uh, Heidelberg Catechism. Question answers 83, 84, and 85. So what I wanna do is I'm gonna ask question 83. I want us to give the answer together, and then just I will read question answers 84 and 85 because they're kind of extensive. So here's the question 83. Again, we're focusing on what are called the keys of the kingdom. If you're wondering what in the world that's all about, Well, here we have an explanation. So here's the question, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And let's say together, the preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. All right, so how is the kingdom of heaven open and closed by the preaching of the gospel? And here's the answer. According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all believers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge Both in this life and in the life to come. Followed by this question How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline? And the answer is according to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments, and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself and from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. So when um, we, we consider what we just read from uh, these, these three questions and answers here, um, this is kind of a weighty thing that we're dealing with here this afternoon, and it really shows us really um, the importance of the church of Jesus Christ in, in the eyes, and the mind, and the heart of Jesus himself, because Christ has entrusted what we call the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not to any other organization, but to this place and every other faithful local church so we're going to look at the keys of the kingdom so I want to begin very simply with this Um, kids if you're here why don't you take a look come on look up front look what I got here what is this it's a key right you say what is that a key to well you probably figured it out it's a key to a car and your moms and dads have keys like this and so you got this metal piece right here that I can simply put into my car and it will lock the car or unlock the car but also, you know this, you maybe see your mom and dad do this, um, and by the way, if you're a guest here, we try to keep catechetical teaching for not just adults, but, but also for the children. It's important for us. Okay, So, kids, um, I can work this bottom heavy piece here, and it is called a fob, and there's two little parts of this fob where I can push a button and it locks the car, and I push another button and it unlocks the car. You've seen these things. Now. When when those of us who are older, kids, those of us who are older here, we remember, maybe if we're 50, 60, 70 and beyond, remember that there are also these kind of old style keys, are about this long, they're metal keys. And when I was a when I was a kid growing up, between the age of zero and ten, um, I lived in a big rectangular white house. It was one of the biggest houses in the towns that I grew up in the town that I grew up. And it, it, I lived in this, one of the biggest houses in town, not because my family was wealthy, but because um, because it was a, a local Christian college where my dad taught, um, bought it as a dormitory. And dormitory kids is where college students live. And so my parents and my uh, two other brothers and I lived in the bottom part of this dormitory, and then we had six uh, female students, college girls up front. And so I grew up in that kind of atmosphere and interacting with these college students all the time. And I remember as part of this house it was built in the eighteen eighties and nineties and it was so large that at one point it was a it was a hotel, another point it was actually a hospital during the 1930s and 40s. But then it became this dormitory. And I remember, and those of us who are older maybe remember some older homes where Everything seemed much larger, of course, when you're a child, right? When you return to your home as an adult, you go, "I don't remember it being this big," but it was huge when you were a kid. And you had had these huge wooden doors, dark wood wooden doors, and you could have a key, and you put that big heavy metal into a keyhole, and it would go click, and the door would open. But you could also push it the other way, and it would also lock the door. Now, when you think of keys, once you have that image in mind, okay. And what we read in the Bible and what we read in the catechism is, because the catechism is simply a, a, a faith, what we confess is a faithful reflection and summary of the teachings of the Word of God, we read in the Bible how Jesus has given what he calls keys to the church that either open, and I'll explain this a little bit later on, open the, 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 the kingdom of heaven or close the the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that really mean? I'll explain that for just a moment. But for now, I want us to think about this. Like, what, what exactly are those keys? And, and also, who gets to exercise those keys? Who does Christ actually, who does Jesus actually give those keys to, to exercise on his behalf? We're going to be looking at that um, this afternoon, okay? So I want to draw your attention to John chapter 20, and, and maybe, maybe you're here uh, this afternoon, You probably, maybe you think, I- I've been reading my Bible, I don't m- remember any reference to keys or keys of the kingdom, but they are there, okay? So we begin with John chapter 20, and I'll be somewhat, uh, just touch on the highlights here. John chapter 20 occurs on the evening of Christ's resurrection. So Christ rose early on the first day of the week. By the way, the kids, this, this first Day of the week, you know what day that is, first day of the week? is Sunday. Today. Today is the first day of the week. So on a Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead early in the morning, and then in the evening, Jesus appeared to his followers, his disciples, and you say, well, why did he appear to them? And the reason why he appeared to them was to demonstrate that he was not dead, but he was very much alive. Because the Bible teaches us that that even though Jesus explained on a number of occasions very clearly what was going to happen to him, that he was going to suffer and die, and then on the third day rise from the dead, even though he 's very clear about that, the Bible says that the disciples just they doubted i mean this it was an extraordinary claim who who ever heard about someone rising from the dead yet this is exactly what Jesus said he was going to do so The evening that he rose from the dead, Jesus appeared to his disciples who were still in a state of doubt in order to demonstrate that he was not dead but he was very much alive. So Jesus appeared to his disciples and the first thing he said to them was, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom. And then what he proceeded to do is to show the wounds that he had to his disciples. So here was Jesus, even though he had the wounds, he was not. A wounded man who was dead, but he still had a display of the wounds that he experienced on the cross, but he still, he did this in his glorified, resurrected state, as if to say, though I was wounded, I am not dead. I'm very much alive. And then he said to them again, he said, peace be with you. And then he said some very important words, and they're very short, but they're really, really important. He said, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. In other words, as the Father has sent me into the world to not only die for the sins of my people and to reconcile them to God, but as the Father has sent me into the world to preach and to preach specifically the gospel of the kingdom, so now he says to his disciples, I am sending you into the world with that very mandate. For I'm going to rise and I'm going to go up into heaven, I'm going to sit at the right hand of my Father in ascended glory, I will be away from you, and in my physical absence, although not my spiritual absence, I have this mandate in my absence, my physical absence, for you to carry the gospel of the kingdom and life in Jesus to the entire world. Now, what we have to understand as we start moving into what we call the keys of the kingdom is that this very mandate that Jesus gave to his disciples to go out into the world is the very mandate that God has given the pathway and every other faithful local church. Jesus says, I want you to go out. I don't want you to wait here and twiddle your thumbs till people come to you. I want you to go out. And it's a reminder that not only are we to do that, but when we gave of our offering, it was for Mission to Mexico. And you saw the Bradenhoffs up there, who two churches in Vernon, and also another church here in Abbotsford, sent them onto the mission field. We helped support them. That's getting the word out, not only from Pathway, but to missionaries on the mission field. So the mandate comes to us and other missionaries, Christian missionaries, to do what? To, to fulfill the mandate, which is what? It's the same, of, same as Jesus. To bear witness to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, or sometimes the Bible is called the kingdom of God. The two terms are synonymous. So what does it mean to bear witness to the kingdom? It means by our words, but also our deeds. To show forth Jesus to the world, that Jesus is king, that Jesus rules over his kingdom. The kingdom reflecting the presence of Jesus in the world and the renewing power of Jesus in the lives of people. And Jesus, I want you to bring that to the world. I want you to, to, to get people in touch with me. I want you to get in touch I want you to get them in touch with my presence and my renewing power in their lives. I want you to bring all the blessings of the kingdom of God and what it means that through me they may ultimately be reconciled and experience eternal life. All these wonderful things are connected with the kingdom of heaven and the good news of the kingdom of God. And as you carry out that mandate and you, as you proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the world, Jesus says, you're always going to get one or two responses. You're going to get people who, who listen to that message and who see the kingdom life of the people of God, and they're going to respond, and they're going to realize that they need to come to the end of themselves. They need to repent. They need to believe in Jesus. They need to entrust their lives in Jesus, and they need to enter into the blessings of the kingdom. And when they repent and take hold of Jesus by faith, those blessings of the kingdom of heaven become theirs. But conversely, if they turn their backs on it and they do not repent and they do not change their lives and they do not believe that the kingdom of heaven is precious enough for them to embrace it in Jesus Christ, if they don't repent and they don't believe, not only are the kingdom blessings not theirs, but they remain under the wrath and the judgment of Almighty God. So what we're dealing with here this afternoon is really what we call a life and death matter. Is it not? Question is, how do we as a church carry out this mandate of displaying the kingdom of heaven to the world? And the answer is, through the exercise, look at this again, through the exercise of the keys. You say, what are the keys? These are just car keys, but what are the keys that Jesus is talking about? Okay, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But first what I want to do is I want to establish biblically this whole idea of not just the kingdom of heaven, but the keys that either open or close, unlock or lock the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting that when you, when you look at the Bible, you see that there is a reference to keys on a number of occasions. So uh, let me give you some examples of that. All right, AV, if you put that up front. Okay. This comes from the book of Revelation. The one who originally and authoritatively holds the key that either opens the door to life eternal and all the blessings of the kingdom or shuts it and locks it is Jesus himself. We find this in Revelation chapter 1 fear not, I am first and the last, says Jesus, I am, and now we got a reference to John 20, it's the resurrection, he says, I am the living one, I died, but I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades, death and hell and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. So what Jesus is doing, he's addressing what we call seven churches scattered throughout Asia Minor at the time. I'll spare you all the details. But there is one church in particular called the Church of Philadelphia, not in the United States, but in Asia Minor, which is known as modern-day Turkey. And Jesus is addressing what he calls the angel. And the word in the original literally means messenger. So many commentators believe that he's actually addressing the messenger that God has sent to the people, namely the pastor. And he says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One who has the keys of David, in reference to Jesus, who comes from ultimately the house of David himself. He is the one, in reference to Jesus, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. So when we think of the keys, it's Jesus first and foremost who possesses the key. And he has, as the Son of God, the power and the authority to open the kingdom of heaven or close the kingdom of heaven, depending on people's response to the gospel or the message to the kingdom. So if they do not receive that message, he locks the door. If they do receive the message, embrace Jesus, he opens the door. Original authority rests with Jesus. Now, here's an interesting point. Even though original authority rests with Jesus, Jesus has delegated that authority to others. You will say, well, who has he delegated that authority to? And the answer is, first and foremost, what we read in the Bible and the Gospel of Matthew is to Peter as a leader among the disciples. So if you put the next one up for real. And I tell you, says Jesus, and this is after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now notice what he says, and here's where there's a reference to the keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what he's really saying here in in the term binding is he's, he's saying, if I'm giving you a delegated authority, and it's a declarative authority, where if people refuse to come to me, they refuse to come to the end of themselves and repent and believe in me, you bind that person. In other words, what you do is you shut the door to the kingdom of heaven, and you declare to them, because you refuse to repent, this door is closed to you, as sad as that is. But if they repent and embrace, then I've given you the delegated authority to declare to them and proclaim to them, you know what, the door to Jesus and the door to all the blessings of the kingdom are yours. So original authority rests with Jesus, the delegated authority rests upon Peter as a leader among the disciples. But as we go on in the Bible, what you see is that Christ has not only delegated that authority and that power to Peter, the declarative power, but he's given it to the other apostles the other disciples of Jesus. Go to John chapter 20 now, if you would, there you go. Look at that. And Jesus said to them, and this is what we've read earlier, Jesus says, peace be with you, and then he says to them, he breathes on them, right? Symbolic, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So what he's doing is he's empowering them with the power and the authority of the Spirit. Now look how similar the language is, same as Peter. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, this is is not an inherent authority and power that's resting in Peter to say, well, I forgive you or I don't. That only rests with Jesus. Peter's and the disciples' authority is a delegated authority and it's a declarative authority. So again, as the message Jesus goes out, if people refuse to bend the knee to Jesus and repent and embrace him, there's no forgiveness for them. There's no reconciliation with God. There's no blessings of the kingdom. But if they do repent and embrace Christ, a beautiful thing happens. The door to the kingdom of heaven opens and all the blessings of the kingdom and all the blessings of knowing and belonging to Jesus are showered upon them. Original authority rests with Jesus is delegated during the days of Jesus to Peter as a leader among the disciples and then to the disciples themselves and finally this and this is where you and I come in Jesus has also delegated this beyond the disciples and the apostles because they're not here anymore he's delegated that authority to the church finally this from Matthew 18 if your brother sins against you he says go tell him his fault between you and him alone If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you. If he refused to listen to them, he says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, that is an unbeliever or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, now notice these words again, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the idea is this, on a personal level, you may have someone with whom you have a bit of a rub and you believe that that other person has in some way sinned against you. Christ allows no loose ends in relationships. So he says, deal with that brother, go to him and lovingly tell him, listen, I feel like I've been sinned against by you. If that brother listens to you, you've gained your brother and your relationship is whole again. But if that brother says, you know what, no, Um, I don't want to listen to you. I think you're in the wrong, and and there's still that tension. Then, Matthew says, take along two others from the church and talk with this individual, and maybe that individual repent then. Let's say he still doesn't repent. Then the passage says, bring it to the church. Bring it to the church. Who's the church? If you look at the catechetical document here, And you look at a number of commentators, most of them will say, the church refers to the office bearers of the church, particularly the pastor and the elders. So if there's a lack of repentance, bring it to the office bearers of the church and let them do that. And then Christ very clearly connects the office bearers of the church to the exercise of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The point is, it's in the context of the church, And especially in the context of the pastor and the elders by which the keys of the kingdom are exercised. Now, one final thing I want to say is this, because the question is this. Well, exactly what are those keys? What do those keys refer to? And if you look at the Bible, and especially if you look at the catechism, and this is where the catechism is helpful, because it provides a synopsis or a summary of Bible's teaching. It says there's two keys of the kingdom. There's only two. There's preaching, and there's discipline. Preaching and discipline. So let me talk about preaching first, and then I'll talk about discipline. And I'm going to bring to bear two stories relating this, and both stories come out of the Bible. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Jesus is risen. Jesus is ascended. Ten days after Jesus ascends into heaven, Jesus pours forth his Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And is the spirit who falls among a number of individuals, followers of Jesus Christ. But it's also the spirit who comes upon Peter. And it's in the power of the descent of the spirit that Peter begins to preach to hundreds of men who have assembled at a Jewish festival called Pentecost. So Peter... I'll leave some things out. But Peter begins to preach Jesus, and he preaches Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he preaches Jesus very powerfully to the extent that these men who are listening cry out at the end of the sermon, and they're like, uh, as we would say today, what are we supposed to do with this? What shall we do? And you remember Peter's response. He says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he preaches. That's a key. The key is exercising. So he preaches. And what Peter is doing is really two things. When Basically, he's saying to these men, if you repent and you are baptized and you receive the gift and the operations of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you do that, Jesus is open to you and all the blessings associated with Jesus and His kingdom is open to you. But conversely, if you don't repent, if you're not baptized, if you don't receive the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, and sadly, if you don't do that, Jesus and the kingdom of heaven is closed to you. That's an exercise of the key of the kingdom. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Apostle Paul writes that that he says, the the word of the Lord, whether it's shared personally or through preaching, the word of the Lord is an aroma of life unto life for some. That's a reference to the door of the kingdom of heaven being flown wide open to them that they walk through. But he says, the word as it goes out, is, can also be an aroma of death to death to others because they refuse to respond properly to it by means of repentance and faith. Now, one other thing in regard to preaching, and I'm going to get to discipline just a moment. This, this, this word of the Lord that goes forth as a key of the kingdom can be exercised informally and formally, unofficially and also officially. So let me explain Let's say that, that you are, uh, have an evangelistic bent and you know of someone maybe who's been coming to Pathway or maybe someone who doesn't want to go to church but you're working with them and you start, you start speaking to them uh, the, the things of the Bible and you, you introduce them to Jesus and all that, okay? You introduce them to the Christian faith. And what you will find is that there are a number of people who are willing to listen, and there's a number of people who start to show inherent interest, and it's it's really a matter of curiosity for them because they really do want to learn about the Christian faith. They kind of want to know about Jesus, right? But there comes a point where after a number of weeks of sharing the gospel with someone that you need to come to a point where you say, you know what, I enjoy meeting with you and talking about these things, but you need to understand now that Jesus is calling you. Calling you to what? Calling you to come to the end of yourself and he's calling you to to do what he's been calling people throughout the ages. He's calling you to to basically turn from your sin and, and stop putting your back to him and turn to him and embrace him in repentance and faith so that you might not only know him, and belong to him, but experience all the blessings that come from his hand, what the Bible calls the blessings of the kingdom. At some point, you got to bring that in. And it's at that point that that guy or that gal has to come to grips with, am I going to heed the call of Christ or am I not? Am I going to actually come to the end of myself and repent and come clean with God or am I not? And if that person humbles themselves and God works his grace in their life to repent, praise God, the kingdom of heaven is open to them and you can declare that to them. But if they do not and they close their heart, then you have to declare to them, then you know what? That's a choice that you have made and sadly the kingdom is closed to you and you remain as hard as it is for me to say this under, under the wrath and judgment of God of a holy God. So I'm pleading with you, turn to Christ, turn to Christ. That's an, an informal, personal, unofficial way of exercising the kingdom. Another way of exercising it is just what we read in Acts 2 with Peter through preaching. And you've heard me many times, or maybe I've heard other pastors on this pulpit many times, appeal to all who are present as they hear the word to respond to respond to repentance and faith and embrace Christ, so that they may enter into the blessings of the kingdom. Okay, so one of the keys is preaching, and Christ has given that to the church. Now, very quickly, one of their one of their key to the kingdom is discipline, discipline. All right, and by one of the way, it, by the way, it's one of the marks of a true church. If you, if you if you belong to a church not exercising ever any form of discipline, you got to leave it. Go find a place where it does exercise discipline. I mean, it's truth. Okay. Why do I say that? Well, I'll give you, let me give you a biblical example. The Apostle Paul talks about a man in a church in Corinth, Greece, many years ago who was involved in deep sexual sin. In fact, it was so deep that it was incest. So it was incest in the church of Christ. Yeah, we can be surprised what we find in the church of Christ, right? So this man was in an incestuous relationship with his mother-in-law. And, and the, the thing was, is that the, and this shows the immaturity of the Corinthian church, they were kind of making light of this. And the Apostle Paul comes along as an authoritative figure, as an ambassador of Christ, and he says, you need to deal with this guy. You need to put him under discipline. In fact, what Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, you need to hand this man over to Satan. Those are his words. You say, what does that mean? It means you need to hand this guy over to the powers of darkness so that the powers of darkness in dealing with him will be so repugnant and scary to him and, and, and bring him to such an end to himself that he is going to repent and he's going to want to be restored to Jesus and he's going to be re- restored to the church once again. So Paul says this to the Corinthian church, you do that. So what do they do? They did it. And what happened to this man? He repented. And he was restored to Jesus and he was restored to the church. That's called an exercise of the key of the kingdom. So because they put this man under discipline and because he repented, it's through that discipline of the church that the kingdom of heaven and the way of Jesus was open to him. But if he would have responded conversely and and hardened his heart, then the kingdom of heaven would have been closed to him. Exercise the keys, preaching and discipline. Sometimes discipline happens on an individual level where you work with someone on a very personal level trying to get them to repent because there's some sin involved. Sometimes the church exercises this officially. And you have to go through various steps of discipline with an individual. And sometimes those steps can occur over a long period of time, sometimes up to a year or two. Because during the, between those steps, you keep working with this individual to try to get this individual to just to, to stop their sinning so that they may be restored to Christ and, and the church. So you have preaching discipline so I want to I want to draw to a close here and a more practical note and simply say this do we really realize just how important the church is because because it's 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 the church that holds these, not these car keys, but the keys of the kingdom. Christ, Christ takes the keys of the kingdom and puts it in the hands of the church. He doesn't put it in the hands of a charitable organization. He doesn't put it in the hands of a parachurch organization or any other organization, as nice as it is. He's taken these keys and he's, he's given it... He's given it to the church. And, and this is why... This is why when, because we're kind of living in a low church age right now, and people are not only poo-pooing Christianity, but the local church, and they'll say stuff like, well, it's all full of hypocrites, and it's like, yeah, tell us what we haven't heard before. We know, that's why we need Jesus. But, you know, the church is this, and the church is bad, and I've had a bad experience with the church and all this kind of stuff. That does not negate the importance of attaching yourself to a living, faithful, preaching disciplined church and this is why it's sad sometimes when people grow up in the church they get tired of in it for whatever reason they just start walking away and there are books that are being written about this um, on the de-churching that's going on in Canada and the U.S. and the North American context. The the, the thing is is that when, when people show no interest in Jesus or the church, or you have a de-churching going on with people who grew up in the church but have walked away from it, it's a very, very serious thing. It's a very sad thing because what they're doing, in light of the explanation that you've heard this afternoon, what they're doing is they're, they're removing themselves from life that is found in Christ and life that is found in the church that promotes Christ on a weekly basis. They've removed themselves from that. They've removed themselves from the very means that Christ has entrusted to the church to open or close the doors of heaven. So I want to I end with this. A number of years ago, there was a confession, a doctrinal statement, quite detailed, written by a Swiss uh, theologian named Heinrich Bollinger. It's called the Second Helvetic Confession. At one point in that confession, Heinrich Bollinger speaks about the church. He speaks about the church um, and he likens the church to an ark, it, it kind of it was somewhat in reference to the Ark of noah, and basically what he says is, out in the world, you have people who are who are drowning and people who are under the the, 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 the temporal judgments of god and, and they 're they're, they're drowning and they 're looking for life, but they don 't know where to turn and Bollinger says. Life and protection is not found in oneself and is simply not found in the floodwaters of the world. Life is found with Jesus. Life is found in the ark that Jesus has put into the world, namely the church. So so flee to Jesus. F- swim, swim to the ark and enter into the ark and enter into the arena of life and protection and acceptance The calling that goes out to every one of us here this afternoon is this. Flee this life. The world is a wonderful place in many ways and provides wonderful opportunities for service and enjoyment, but there are many things in this world that are very, very dark. Flee these things and all that it offers and come to Jesus and enter the ark. And I tell you what, it doesn't doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done or what you are involved in now. It doesn't matter how deep the sin, the call of Jesus is always the same. Come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden with your sin and I will give you rest. But more than that, flee to my bride called the church. Flee to her and find your life and your growth and your blessing in her. And you know what? Don't, don't, don't think to yourself, I could do that tomorrow. I'll do it next week. Let me give some more time to, I want to, get, I want to think about this some more. You know, the Bible says today, you know, today is the day of salvation. Do not wait, because you know what? There may not be another day. As I was reminded in Toronto many years in my first pastorate, where I shared the gospel with a young man, he went off in a bus, and I said, let's meet again. He said, yeah, let's do that. And I'll tell this story in the future when we go through our evangelism series uh, in another month or so. Some of you have heard this story, but that very night when this man said, you know what, we'll get together again in maybe another week or two. He lived in downtown Toronto and I was living in another part of Toronto. And that very night, he was shot dead in, a, in an alleyway, no, our stairwell in, near an alleyway. And that was it. That was it. Don't think tomorrow will come. It may not come. Flee to Jesus, flee to the ark. And if you say, you know what, I have done that, well then praise God for that. That's his grace. Now you have another calling, and that is to, in a very personal way, exercise that key of the gospel in someone's life, calling them to repentance and calling them to life, but also feel free to bring them in the context of the worshiping community here so that they may hear through the preaching that life And life alone and the joys of the kingdom are found in jesus and that is so true so what we're going to do is we're going to pray we're going to sing a song and then um one thing i'm getting used to this again but if you will go back to the end of question answer 85 can you look up that in the powerpoint because there there is very good that was quick so there's my cell number and um, i'm sorry for not giving that earlier And what we're going to do is if you have a question in regard to uh, the sermon this afternoon, I'll try to answer it the best I can. Um, But for now, let's pray, and then we're going to sing together, and then we'll see if we have any questions. Heavenly Father, you've sent Jesus, your Son, into the world to gather in those who are willing to repent and believe and embrace the gospel of the kingdom. Lord Jesus, you have also given us the church who stands bearing witness to the very same gospel of the kingdom that you pronounced during your days on this earth. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be a genuine, true, living, flourishing church that possesses these keys of authority with not only power, we pray, and conviction, but also humility and grace. And then, Father, again, we pray, grant that people may respond, that we may all respond to the gospel of the kingdom by daily repenting, believing in Jesus, embracing Him, and seeking first the things of the kingdom of God. Grant that, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to sing in responses we normally do.